1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Scholarly Communication, the podcast about how knowledge gets known. I'm Avi Stamen, co-host of the Scholarly Communication podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I dedicate my time to my lovely family, riding my bike out in the mountains, and running my company, Academic Language Experts. Academic Language Experts, or ALE for short, is an author services company dedicated to helping scholars elevate their manuscripts prior to publication as well as reviewing grant proposals to receive competitive research funding. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Eric Schwartz, Editorial Director at Columbia University Press. Before taking over as Editorial Director at Columbia University Press, Eric was Senior Editor for Sociology and Cognitive Science at Princeton University Press. During that time, he established a new list in cognitive science and revitalized the sociology list, turning it into one of the top lists in the field. But more before moving to Princeton, he was psychology editor at Cambridge University Press, and he started his career at Springer as a manufacturing assistant and Oxford University Press as a manufacturing controller. You'll have to explain to us what those mean, Eric. Um, he began uh, became production controller at Cambridge and moved into editorial department in, tw- in two thousand and six. Along the way, he somehow managed to finish his PhD in political science from the New School for Social Research. His BA in international relations is from the University of Delaware. And Eric has been an active with the Association of American University Presses and is a past president of the Bookbinders Guild of New York. Eric, thank you very much for joining me today. It is lovely to have you on.
0: Great. Thank you so much for having me, Avi. I appreciate it.
1: All right. So tell me, before we get into the real questions, um, a manufacturing uh, assistant and manufacturing controller, are these still jobs that exist today or, uh, or, or have they gone by the wayside?
0: Yeah, yeah. So this is basically like the um, the part of production where you send the files to the printer. Um, and my, you know, my kind of story with this is that I got the interview when I when I interviewed at Springer. It was in the Flatiron Building. Um, my soon-to-be boss was uh, telling me all about printing techniques and plates and uh, film flats and all these all these technical things. And I was confident that I was going to be working in a factory. Um, and I even went and bought um, a pair of steel-toed shoes just in case. And I turned up to my first day of work and realized that I was basically assisting the person who was filling out purchase orders.
1: Got it. So I bet, was that, was that? were you relieved or disappointed when you found that out?
0: Uh, a little bit of relief and a little disappointment. Got it.
1: Understood. I think Machines
0: Understood. are fun for for young people.
1: <laughs> indeed, 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 indeed. You know, it's funny because I think we think a lot about the digital transformation, and 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 obviously a lot more is online now than used to be. And and I think we're trying to reduce our carbon imprint, but you know, there there's definitely at, least, at the very least a, a nostalgia for you know kind of the the uh, the hard work and 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 workmanship that that goes into just the pure production of a book, which is not yeah, to be understated.
0: You know, and, and um, you know, and publish, book publishing is such a black box for most people, um, even people who are just starting out in the business, that um, we really do associate just the physical book itself with publishing. Publishing is producing these physical things, but m- the vast majority of what goes into publishing is all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Um, and that's what actually, re- you know, costs the most amount of money, actually, in, in book publishing about 60 more than 60 percent of the costs of publishing books is actually all the things prior to the paper printing and binding
1: interesting interesting yeah I think that would probably surprise a lot of people I think I if you would do a, mm-hmm. a poll I would definitely have answered that you know the majority of costs is the actual paper and 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 ink and you know and 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 um, and physical you know and maybe the, the the shipping but it sounds like that's not necessarily the case
0: not at all yeah
1: Got it. So tell me, was it at that moment that you were standing on the non factory factory floor, um, you know, help overseeing the purchase order? Um, uh, it was that the moment you fell in love with academic publishing, or was, it, was there something a bit more romantic that uh, that, that happened?
0: Yeah, no, it, really, it was really through through that. I mean, the um, Springer at the time was a um, German-owned uh, by the uh, in in Heidelberg, um, Germany. Uh, publisher of science, techno- technical, and medical books. Um, it was not fields that I really had any connection with whatsoever. Um, and I really, you know, really came to understand just the value of this kind of level of technical need and te- technical knowledge. Um, you know, there were, there were math books that the press would publish where the marketing for those books was basically for the marketing department to call the people that they knew who understood that level of math to tell them that the book was available. Um, So it was a really, really kind of specialized area. So I, I got excited by knowing that. And then, you know, are there kinds of works that I could get involved with that are maybe on a kind of less esoteric level and help to get work of scholarship that's within the academy out to a a broader audience. And I think the kind of career path I've taken has in some ways, I mean, um, you know, going from Springer to, um, to Oxford to Cambridge and going from production to the editorial department has kind of moved me, you know, closer and closer to the capacity to be able to do that.
1: Got it, and and was the your you know what was that work or experience that you had in you know the STEM fields um, was that by choice or is that just kind of a first job and you you know you you would take what you can get and I'm curious looking back you know now that you have come kind of come full circle um, probably to working more on you know on the humanities side do you think that gives you a, maybe a perspective that you wouldn't have otherwise.
0: Yeah, so it definitely was a kind of, you know, first job happenstance kind of thing. Um, you know, this was in the days uh, where the New York Times want ads were the best play, best way to find a job in New York. So I basically just applied to, you know, every New York Times want ad um, that seemed interesting. Um, and uh, and Springer was where I went, wound up getting the, the interview and, and it all kind of went from went from there. Um, I had a colleague who then moved from Springer to Oxford. Um, and once I made that jump to Oxford, it was, it was kind of a movement more towards, um, a diversity of humanities, social science, science and reference work. And that gave me a much kind of bigger picture of what the kind of wider world of uh, academic publishing would be like. And it was at the time that time too, that I started the degree program program at the new school um and it was just kind of an ideal way to do those two things kind of at the same at the same time oxford's offices um are just up in the 30s the new school is down 14th street and um i could take classes right after work um it was it was really kind of a great Nice. Now.
1: so i'm going to fast forward um and to your role now as editorial director at mm-hmm. at, Colum- at columbia university press um, and you know what may surprise us, um, you know those who aren't familiar with the inner workings of how academic publishing works. A kind of that of maybe what hat or hats um, that you wear or things that you do that maybe people aren't necessarily familiar with that aren't in the field.
0: Yeah, so I think that um, you know the, the editorial director is a unique position because you are effectively both an editor and a middle manager. Um, so uh, you need to be able to, um, you know, perform all the functions of that an editor would and manage your own list, curate your own list, edit manuscripts, um, go to conferences, do all the things that that we expect of, of editors. Um, I do sociology and then I do um, uh, work on the Black Lives and the Diaspora program that we have and then also what we call Colombiana. So, kind of um, internal kinds of projects. But then you're also, you know, have a team of editors who report to you. I spend every Wednesday morning meeting for a half hour with each of the editors on my, on my team. Um, they each cover their own fields. Uh, we have a department meeting where we kind of are com- you know, coming up essentially with, you know, what is our strategy? What are the different kinds of problems we're all co- collectively facing? But then you're also then part of the management team of the press. So, um, most, you know, publishers have really three kind of core functional areas, your editorial department, which is responsible for getting books in to the press, your, pub, uh, your production department, which is responsible for getting manuscripts to a bound book phase. And then your marketing department, which is, which is responsible for you know post-production, getting the books out into the world and making sure that people are aware of them and, and can buy them. Um and so you're also negotiating constantly as one of the key components of that triad, um, to make sure that the press is is functioning well and and that you are placing your resources um, in in the best place possible for the for the greater good of the of the publisher.
1: So in short, very it sounds like some long work days. That's 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 what I get from all this. <laughs>
0: Definitely. And the, the hardest part, and we have a, um, with AUP, we've kind of put together a uh, editorial director, editorial in chief um, a quarterly Zoom call. And the biggest, um, the, the motivating factor for putting that call together was this idea that how do you balance those three things? Because I think you can very easily, you have a lot of freedom um, in, in publishing, and it is very easy for, uh, an editorial director to kind of bury themselves in one of those three areas or neglect one of the three areas. And you really have to kind of find the balance.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And and what would you say makes, you know, um, if we're going to hone in for a minute on, on Columbia and what makes you unique? Um, you know, there are a lot of university publishers out there and a lot of them are publishing you know, and, and, and there's obviously a division of different fields that each one takes up. But there's also some overlap. What would you say are, you know, two or three things that kind of make Columbia unique or or, or might be a good venue for someone who might be listening?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, our, our kind of tagline is that, um, you know, we focus on work that's global, urban and contemporary. Um, so I think that this is something that really is reflective of Columbia University, Um you know, the first two words in our, in our, um, name are Columbia university. And, and so, you know, we're ambassadors throughout the world for Columbia university. Um, people throughout the world have a sense of what Columbia means. It's a vibrant, uh, vibrant, um, diverse Ivy league school in the heart of New York city. Um, that's focused on, um, you know, solving all kinds of global problems At, at Columbia we. It's often referred to this as the fourth purpose um, of, of the university this is a kind of Lee Bollinger um, the outgoing president concept and so we want to make sure that the books that we're doing are reflective of those interests and um, capabilities and capacities of the of the university
1: got it and 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 tell us a little bit about also the evolution of the press like, you know you don't need to go back to the, the the very way beginnings but at very at the very least I understand that you you came in in twenty fourteen. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, I came in in twenty fourteen. Um, it was when Jennifer Crew had first um, started as the editorial director. So I, uh, I, I replaced um, Jennifer in that role when she was elevated to director. Jennifer's been at the press for I think thirty seven years. Um, so real long tenure. Um, you know, for the bulk of the twentieth century, um, the press's business was centered around its reference program. Um, particularly the Columbia Encyclopedia. The Columbia Encyclopedia was the kind of thing that, you know, you had a kid who graduated high school, you would give them as a gift, a copy of the Columbia Encyclopedia, a single volume reference, um, the kind of thing that you would just always have on your shelf. Um, And, you know, in the late nineties, you know, the internet something called the internet comes along. Um, and all of a sudden, the, you know, the, those kinds of reference works um, become less and less necessary. And that aspect of the business just really collapsed. Um, and it was a struggle for the folks who were there um, at the press at the time to be able to kind of manage the rapidity with which that aspect of the business was, was collapsing. Um, the press had a warehousing and distribution business. Uh, warehousing and distribution business. There were so many aspects of the business that were basically um, held together by this reference program. And and once that funding source disappeared, um, it it really was a struggle for everything else to to manage. So by the time I arrived um, you know, that whole footprint had basically been, been removed. Um, the warehouse was closed. The, um, the distribution business was really scaled back. Um, the university had, um, the, the, the university had provided loans to the, to the press to be able to kind of keep, keep going. It was a real, a real difficult time. Um, and they had done a, a, what they call a academic review committee review of the press to kind of determine, um, you know, what should, it's basically like giving a blueprints to the new incoming director, what to do. So in that sense, for me, I didn't have any of that past history. And I think that that's, um, you know, I think that was really traumatic for the people who were, who were there at the time as it, as you can imagine. Um, and I was kind of then just a new person who was who was coming in, who then had this blueprint for what to what to do. Um, and part of that blueprint was written by the press director from where I was coming from at Princeton, and one of the one of my series editors at Princeton. So I had a real kind of good insight into what their kind of thinking was with regards to what you know university press quality. Um, is all about. Um, And it was really then, you know, I think this past eight and a half years has been incredibly exciting as we've been able to um, do a lot of self-reflection, put institutions in place that can ensure that we're just functioning in a better kind of way. And then think, think towards the future.
1: Got it. Got it. Yeah. That's really, it's, it's, um, you know, I think we, we, we sort of, I I would have assumed that, you know, it's kind of like well, you're and an attached to the university, so you know it it, it sort of um, you know is 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 tax funded or you know it's kind of like can can run on its own, but it 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 really humanizes it when you talk about the actual challenges and struggle. And I imagine that you know was probably very difficult years that had to be um, worked through. So to build build up almost sounds like almost from scratch is is quite admirable in that sense.
0: There's there are several university presses that are independent 5013 c um, kind of tech de- designation. Um, most university presses are units of the uh, units of the university. Um, in the case of University of Chicago press, they're actually a department um, of the university. And during this past um, you know, this this time was we made the transition from being an independent 5013 to actually then becoming a formal unit of the university that reports to the provost's office. Um and that's provided us with a lot of security in terms of just I mean it's better for the staff. Um you know we don't have to renegotiate our health insurance uh, on a yearly basis. I mean simple kind of straightforward um things like that. Um but it also just like you know kind of cash flow and 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 having that more kind of direct connection to the university makes it it easier for us to make the case, especially to our local faculty, for why they want to collaborate with us, because we're all part of the same family. But it's a good indication, too, of just like how how reliant university presses are on some other funding source, whether it is a university um, budget line. Um, So we have a budget line through Columbia University. Um, There are other presses that have um, large endowments, and that's really what helps to pay the bills. When I was at Princeton, that was, you know, Princeton really is very reliant on um, on their endowment, which they've done a fantastic job of building up over the years through successful, um, successful publication. Um, and then there are other publishers that have journals and distribution businesses that, that kind of help to cover the costs of scholarly book publishing, which just is not a, you know, is a break even business at, be- at best.
1: So maybe you can talk to that a little bit. Um, what is it about the books that makes it, you know, whatever you want to call it. I don't know if it's a loss leader, that's maybe too Mm businessy of a term, but, you know, Mm -hmm. um, obviously I think we can all agree on on the importance of the books, but they don't seem to be able to, there there doesn't seem to be a model in place um, as of yet to be able to really, um, you know, make it a profitable business. What is it about books that makes them different than journals in that context? Is there just less interest, less libraries are buying them, less individuals? What's the the issue there that, that lies at the heart of this.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, every book is, is in, in, in essence, some way, a reinvention of, the, you know, the thing itself. So, um, you know, when you have a journal, you have um, institutions that will make commitments on a yearly basis to pay for the, those journals. Um, and then you, you know, you have, you're, then you're trying to grow more and more subscribers Um, And you can raise that subscription price per year. We have a relatively capped set. I mean, there's a relative sense of what one would be willing to pay for a book. Um, You know, I often get these complaints that from authors uh, about, you know, their previous publication was maybe with a commercial scholarly publisher who, you know, charged $150 for the book and, um, you know that's a, a price that a library would pay for, but no individuals would, would pay for. So I think the challenge that we have is that we have a relatively uh, we have a price ceiling. Uh, it costs about thirty five thousand dollars to publish each book. Um, this is based on some Ith- Ithaca um, statistics that they that uh, of a study that they did a number of years ago. It's probably now about I don't know six or seven years ago. Um, and um, and there's just been a kind of fixed audience for for these books. So uh, the library buying has really um, diminished to what it you know used to be the case. Um, you know, this is maybe in the early 90s and 80s. You, you would sell a thousand copies just to academic libraries. And you know that's now in the 200, probably 150 um, range. I mean, m- much lower. There are library consortia that will, um, you know, buy one copy for three libraries. There are a lot of um, academic libraries that are patron-driven, so if somebody requests the book, the library will buy it. Um, there are loads and loads of university press books that are sitting in academic libraries that have never been touched, um, and those are certainly good for us as a publisher that help to um, pay for the books, but um, it's not good for libraries to, to be buying material that nobody's using.
1: And, and those, just so I understand, um, mm-hmm. those books, you're selling them as individual books and not as part of the greater series that they're a part of? Or, you know, will you sell, let's say, if you had three or four titles in this particular series, do you, is there any way to bundle and package those together? Or is it really just, you know, kind of one book each book on its own.
0: Yeah. It's one, it's really, you know, one, one, one book at a time. Um, we have, we publish our books. Um, we kind of organize them into two seasonal lists. So we have a fall season and a spring season. Um, our sales reps go out to, um, you know, independent bookstores throughout the, the country and, and we'll, um, you know, sit down with buyers and, and sell, you know, hand, you know, sell, Individual copies of books. Our largest, our li- our largest customers, Amazon. So Amazon um, will buy, um, you know, based on whatever algorithmic decision-making process that's going on um, there behind the scenes as well um, is um, uh, is all kinds of uh, you know m- the book metadata. Um so uh you know bookstores find out about what books are available through something called the Onyx feed. Um this this starts to get a little bit more technical than you know my daily uh daily engagement with the business. But um you know there's a lot of behind the scenes kind of stuff that's going on um to kind of get these books books out in the world. But it is it's individual, it's individual titles. And you know the the kind of going story within trade publishing, so the commercial nonfiction publishers, people like, um, you know, Penguin Random House and Simon & Schuster, you know, you publish 10 books and you hope that the one successful one pays for the nine that don't cover its costs. And we don't really operate quite on that same kind of scale. We usually don't have, you know, the one that is sufficient to cover the costs of the, the others. Instead, we have... We we don't have books that really are tremendous failures, um, but we ch- we tend there tends to be kind of a ceiling in what you can expect for um, books to sell to really kind of help to cover cover those costs. Books like "On Bullshit" or um, you know books like uh, you know Piketty's "Capitalism in the Twenty First Century," um, you know those are real kind of outliers in terms of books that just. Sell numbers that are just hard to quite understand. Um, that really will kind of make a press's year, if not multiple years, insane.
1: And so I want to circle back around to the the question of the university and you know relationship with the press. Um, and I'm kind of curious, um, you know, that uh, what is the connection between? um, you know, the, the, the staff and the faculty, um, and the press itself, meaning is there, do they have, uh, you know, priority when it comes to publishing with the press or is there any special track for them or do they really kind of, are they reviewed in exactly the same way as, Mm -hmm. you know, a scholar from another university may be, uh, reviewed?
0: That's a great question. Yeah. So the, the one formal, um, kind of opportunity that, press uh, that that university faculty have um, that faculty elsewhere don't have is to serve as a member of our publications committee so we have a publications committee that's about 10 faculty members each representing one of the air roughly one of the areas that we publish in um, and they serve for th- uh, three years and that could be renewable for another three years and they help us they they their role is to approve any project that we want to publish. So anytime we, we want to publish a book, we have to get it peer-reviewed. We send proposal manuscript out for two reviews. We get an author response. It goes to the faculty board for their approval at the uh, the final Thursday of every month. Um, and if they approve those that book, then it gives us the green light for a contract. They also often, they're not acting like a third reviewer, but they're often helping us um, with comments or providing insights into maybe debates or discussions or issues within fields that we're maybe not aware of. So that's a formal way and a formal opportunity that university faculty have. Otherwise, I think it's really important that just each of the editors is in constant conversation with the faculty in the department's where we uh that, that we cover but university um university faculty don't really get any true special treatment though i mean we we want to publish our local faculty um so it's you know it i would say it's it's in in that sense it's informal i mean i think there's a there they don't have a easier time of it than anybody else but I would I would like to see us publish the best scholarship that's being being done at Columbia University and and as well by um, by people who are what we call affiliates of Columbia University so people who got um, you know who got their PhD at Columbia who are um, who are not tenured faculty members but are maybe postdocs or um, they're professors of practice in the business school um, because the work that they're doing represents the best of columbia and therefore we should be putting that out into the world and not you know one of our one of our colleagues in another university
1: so that let me ask you uh, i'm going to push back a little bit um some of the some of the questions that i sometimes get in my yeah. role is you know um you have scholars a from you know around the world who are not you know this ivy league connected. Um, or scholars who, you know, may be teaching at more local, um, you know, colleges, but are working on really interesting research. And I think there's this um, notion out there, and I'm happy for you to either confirm or dispel um, that, that there is that it's, it's, you know, that the university press world is not necessarily interested in their research as much as, you know, kind of the more inner circles of the you know, researchers that are affiliated with that. So I totally get and understand why you'd want to try and promote Columbia in any way possible, but does that come at, would you say that comes at the expense or is it worth trying if you don't have that connection, uh, is it still worth, you know, putting in a proposal?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good, good question. Yeah. So, um, so I think that you're, I, I would say you're right on one aspect which is certainly the focus on and i say this too as the sociology editor who like the kind of knowledge of sociology sort of embedded in the way i think at this point um is that you know always thinking in terms of networks right so um yeah there, i mean there are networks effects and if you are part of networks you get your you benefit from that and you're not part of networks you are excluded from that um it's important i think for us as editors to be thinking against those tendencies and looking to constantly expand our networks beyond, um, our immediate, our immediate circles. Um, that's to where something like our black lives in the diaspora series is really significant. It's a partnership with Howard university and, the and, and that kind of formal partnership structure was our effort to break out of this, um, pure Ivy league, kind of mentality, and how do we then partner with um, you know, a, a historic, uh, historic, historically Black college and university um, and expand our networks and expand the areas that we cover. And the biggest problem that presses have really is just the resources. So there's way more good stuff to publish than we have the resources to do, or we have the um, the staff capacity to handle. And this is something we were just kind of finishing our, our budget for fiscal year 2024. And um, we're seeing a, a big jump in the number of titles that we're expecting to publish in 2024 from what it was in 2023. Some of this has to do with the kind of aftermath of the pand- pandemic and things that were delayed and um, the capacity that our associate editors bring to the table, which is really high, um, and this new area of um, of the African African American diaspora, um, but so but there are limitations, right? And just like how, how much capacity, so that's to where having that sense, as I mentioned before, what are Columbia Books? the The thing that that helps us at a top line is is this a Columbia book or not? Does it make sense as a Columbia book? Um, And, you know, there could be a Columbia faculty member who comes and pitches to us a, you know, really great book on Jane Austen. This is the example I go to all the time for for no particular reason. Um, But, you know, we would say that this isn't, this is, this is a great project. We would love to work with you, but this isn't really like our strength as a, Publishers is not a Columbia book, Um, but, you know, we have colleagues throughout the university press and, you know, here's some suggestions of other publishers that may be really great for you to work with. Um, So we do, we do at times, uh, you know, it isn't a guarantee that if Columbia faculty member contacts us that we green, you know, it's a green light. Um, It has to be a book that makes sense for the press. And, And oftentimes too, people will pitch us a project and we'll say, you know, offer suggestions of alternatives of like how to frame the book in a way such that it is a Columbia book. Um, so, um, you know, that's the kind of, that, that's where the editor brings in their expertise and kind of knowledge and understanding of markets and what people are interested in where the holes and fields may be.
1: So I I'm really kind of, you picked my curiosity about the Howard, <laughs> um, uh, partnership, and I was hoping that you could take us a little bit more into the weeds about kind of how that works, the mechanics of it and and are there books that are already out or are there things that we'll be seeing in the next couple of years that that will be the fruits of that that labor? Um, anything you could share about that would be great.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we we actually just launched the series on th- thursday last week i thought um, i, so I saw was... something
1: on on social so what you were you're saying yeah, yeah. Was a bell. so yes I, it, yeah it, it, yeah, it, yeah yeah so so yeah. we
0: had an event at the at the schaumburg center in harlem on uh february 9th um if you go to our website you can find a link to the to the program and a, vi- a video of it that the schaumburg has given up to us it's really cool um and yeah, this this seri- the series is is a is a partnership between Columbia University's um, Department of African American and African Diaspora Studies, Columbia University Press, and um, the um, College of Arts and Sciences at Howard. Uh, we formally signed the contract in 2021 uh, we started putting the project together um, in um, you know the wake of the murders of um, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor um, we you know we we really wanted to think about right, how do we use the resources of the press to do good um, and to do something that's going to be more than just a you know a statement against anti-racism something that's going to be, uh, you know, make an institutional change in the space in which we reside. Um, the initial thought was to try to develop a series with our own department, with the AAADS department, which was something that was relatively new. I mean, the university has had a long-standing um, interest in um, in African-American studies. Manning Maribel was uh, key um, to that. Um, you know, in, in previous period, uh, Farah Jasmine Griffin was the first chair of the um, new African-American and African diaspora studies um, department. So we want to do a partnership there. Um, and then in conversations that we had with an advisory council, um, Steve Trachtenberg, who was a former president of George Washington University, suggested, why don't you partner with um, an HBCU? um and you can uh you should contact uh Wayne Frederick who is the president of Howard he's somebody who I know through um you know mutually overlapping circles we Jennifer Crew our press director wrote to Wayne Frederick uh, and then within you know I think within like 24 hours we were in conversation with Ruben Patterson about putting a team together on the on the Howard side and did the same with Farah on the Columbia the Columbia side um, put together a meeting with the two, with the two groups to talk about, right. You know, let's, let's think about what we would, if we wanted to do a series, what would this, what would this series look like? Um, and in that conversation came up, we came up with this idea of the black lives in the diaspora with a real underline of that diasporic component. I think that that's really what makes this particular series from a content standpoint, really unique. Um, that. Um, you know, studying Black life and culture is not just um, studying racism or studying the experience of uh, Black Americans, but that it's really a global, um, and what's interesting, you know, the global subjects, um, it's a kind of global field and, and methodology, um, and what is really, I think, it is interesting is in the particularities, the, the particular experiences that um, Black people have in different places, both um, similarities and differences. And, and, and part of what the series tries to do is tease that out across a variety of then different disciplines. So in, um, history in sociology and political science and literature, music, um, we've got three books that are, um, that are kind of announced for publication. First one is out. And so the event last uh, Thursday was a celebration and a conversation between one of our series editors, um, Yosef Soret, who's the Dean of Columbia College and Omari Swinton, who's the chair of the economics department at Howard, talking about the book that Omari co-authored with, um, with James Cook called Vital and Valuable, which is about the, um, the importance of HBCUs in American American education and the value that they bring to Black populations in particular.
1: Got it. And 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 I know that in addition to the what you're talking about, you also have ideas for to, for thinking about how to get Howard students involved in publishing work as well. If I'm not mistaken, which I think is also really kind of a breath of fresh air because um, you know I, I think that. The same the same way we had, you know, issues with um, probably equal representation or, you know, fair representation um, or, uh, you know, making sure that uh, that alternative voices are, are, you know, are are heard and and get out to the public. Um, I think we suffer from the same ills in the in the publishing industry um, as well um, in terms of kind of who's involved and what the kind of, uh, you know, what, what, what most of us. Um, what most of our backgrounds are so maybe you can tell me a little bit more about this fellowship idea concept where it's at now and what what your plans for are for it
0: yeah yeah definitely so the the um kind of larger um project so the series is basically one of three pieces of this larger project so the second project is to is to actually hire an editor who will be our um Black Studies editor plus one other kind of area. Um, the ideal candidate for that job would be somebody who comes either, um, you know, with a with a PhD from Howard, uh, PhD from Columbia, PhD from you know another HBCU, but in African in African American studies um, or African um, diaspora studies that really kind of brings the the knowledge base and the disciplinary knowledge base. To the curation of the list and the interaction and conversation with the uh, with the series editors. I mean, I'm I'm a fine person in the initial stage, but I am not the end goal um, here. Um, and so that's one kind of component of, of in that kind of hiring. Um, so to get you know get somebody who is a um, a not you know a, a alternative career path. Um, academic into an editorial role. Um, And that person would need an assistant and that assistant can come from a similar kind of background. Then the third component is is to develop a fellowship program. And the fellowship program would um, hire um, students from um, Howard, students from Columbia, and teach them publishing. Um, And, in the ideal scenario, this would then kind of lead into a partnership with the commercial trade publishing publishers. So um, you know, something I would like to do in the future is talk to the HR department at Simon and Schuster or somebody in the HR department at Penguin Random House. University Press Publishing is a very small piece of the pub- the wider publishing landscape, and most books are published by the Big Five. And the Big Five are all in walking distance from Columbia's offices in Lincoln Center. Um, so, can we work with those folks such that we train, we do the training, and? those trainees have a job waiting for them um, at one of the larger commercial publishers such that we then, you know, develop this pipeline of, uh, of, of black candidates in publishing into the, um, you know, in, into the, the, the uh, commercial publishing space.
1: Got it. Got it. Um, Eric, I've got a lot more um, uh, to pick your brain about and to think about, but I I'm conscious of time and I appreciate the time you've given us, um, so far, it's been really, really enlightening. And, and I've learned a lot in the 40 minutes we've had together um, is um, what if if an author, well, let's do one thing at a time. Um, if an author is curious to learn more about, you know, publishing with Columbia, maybe check out some of the books or consider authoring themselves, what's the best way to for them to go about that?
0: Yeah, sure. So I mean, the easiest thing, go to our website, which is cup cup.columbia.edu um and there's a contact um pull down menu there's um and then there's a little tab for editors um so each editor has their fields that they work in and the best thing to do is just you know find the editor who covers your your area and write to that person and just say, you want to talk about a project that you're working on Um, there. You really shouldn't feel as an author that like you need to have anything really formal to get that conversation started. It's most of the fun I find at least as as an editor is really starting with Throwing ideas back and forth, and and trying to come up with what would be fun and interesting. Um, before you, you before we got started, I was mentioning something about this kind of three book um rule that I have for when I go to um to uh, campus visits, and oftentimes it's the third project that that is really the one that the most that you know that the that the one has the most potential because. Somebody is usually working on something. There's there's something that their colleagues think that they should be working on. And the thing that they really want to be working on is the third one. So, uh, you know, let's just get cut to the chase and get to the third thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I think is really refreshing about this approach is that, you've, you know, what we really want is what you really want to, you know, talk about. So if you can really, if you can move past the expectations, um, you know, and sometimes it makes sometimes it takes a little bit of a, of courage because it's not always necessarily what seems to be the most natural to get tenure or to become the head of your department. Right. So you have to kind of, um, you know, take that risk, but, um, you know, but, but I, I don't, the way I always put it when I speak with authors is that, you know, no one will scoff at you if you do have a book published by Columbia. So it's, it's, you know, while while, while, you know, the concept may be a little bit new or innovative, um, in the end, people will respect the, you know, if, if you put your stamp on it, they will, they, you know, they, they'll know the authority and the, and the, and the, and the thorough, rigorous review that it's been through. So, um, not to, not yeah, to I have you
0: Thing Thing to think about too is that, you know, we're all, you know, this is a very slow moving, long game that we're all part of here. Um, so, um, you know, I think that that's the thing to think about is it's about relationship building um and um you know the the you know the the line um that i really like uh is is about publishing is that you know we publish authors not books um and you want to develop those kind of long relationships over time and work and work with people and all relationships have to begin in one way or another by somebody saying hey would you like to talk about something um, and so it's just a matter of getting that getting that first step started.
1: Yeah. Um, Eric, is there anywhere, I don't know if you're active on socials, but if someone does want to follow you, do you have any presence on uh, LinkedIn or Twitter?
0: Yeah. So I mean, my um, LinkedIn is, is probably a, as good a spot these days as any. Um, and I'm Eric. I Schwartz um, and you can find me there. Um, EI under at EI underscore underscore Schwartz on Twitter. Um, I'm not quite as active as I've been um, in the past, but um, but that's a that's a good spot as well um, to check me out there. Too. Yes,
1: unfortunately, I would guess that if you uh, Google Eric Schwartz, you're probably not the only one. Not, not the only one. No, they, there's
0: watch, a but. there's a comedian there's a comedian who does song parodies. Um, who is that's nice. who you're going to get, and I'm not that guy.
1: <laughs> Got <laughs> it. All right. Well, you can take credit <laughs> if he's you know if he's a creative <laughs> mind. Who knows? Maybe, maybe you'll maybe you'll want to publish a uh, you know a collection of his parodies maybe, uh, in another in another life. Uh, and, and if anyone's interested, um, I'm probably a lot less interesting than Eric. But if you are, um, you can you can follow me on on LinkedIn at my name Avi Stamen. That's A-V-I-S-T-A-I-M-E-N Or on Twitter at Ale Translation. Um, that's Twitter Ale Translation. Um, Eric, this has been really great um thank you so much for your time and for sharing you know kind of pulling back the curtain and sharing with us a little bit about what 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 you do as an editorial director and 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 what columbia has done but also is the important work that you are doing um in and, and will continue to do uh, over the next few years so thank you so much for your time and i look forward to uh continuing our chats uh in the near future
0: wonderful thank you Avi. i appreciate it thanks for having me
1: pleasure